0: All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. And I am excited to hang out with my good pal, Michael Ferrero, here as we break down game three. And preview it. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. I promise. Uh, you're listening to this on Tuesday
1: nights. <laughs> Just freak uh, everybody out.
0: Yeah, no, that would be pretty funny. Uh, there have been uh, there's been a lot of time between games. That's for sure. Uh, and I, I'm sure that a lot of folks are at least a little bit concerned about like they it's it's they had to stew on that loss for a while, which is something that Nuggets fans haven't had to deal with in a while. So really interesting to see how they handle it, but. And I think, to be clear, it hasn't been handled well. <laughs> I think there's there's been a lot of panic on what the yeah. Uh, what
1: is the Aaron Rodgers quote from his from all those press conferences? The R-E-L-A-X? They've relaxed? <laughs> Holy cow, man. Everyone is open arms about one loss at home.
0: Right, and it, it is one loss. And the great thing is, is that you don't lose a series until you lose four games. Uh, the great thing about Denver is that they've won a road game in every single series they've played so far. So it's not like the sky is falling here. They just have some pressure now. They, they just have to do it, and, and that's okay. They'll, they'll get it done, uh, but we will see how it ultimately comes about. Uh, but we are going to preview game three. We're going to talk about a variety of things. I asked on Twitter uh, what people thought and what they wanted to see change in, in this particular game, and, and we'll then we'll make sure to get into that for sure. Uh, if you notice, I'm in a completely different setup than than usual.
1: I'm in Miami. I'm yeah, how's how's it going down there? You've been sitting on the beach all day. Actually, I saw it. Was is it is it raining down there?
0: It it, it was raining before I got here,
1: but yeah, you just up uh, am... escaping it anywhere you go.
0: Oh yeah, no, I I actually got in probably like six o'clock because uh, I had a I had a connecting flight. I I left Denver probably at like 10, uh, 10 a.m. and then and then got here at six p.m. So. It's been a long day of travel for me so uh pardon me folks if i'm even if I'm slurring my words even more than usual today but uh uh here in the hotel and when I turn on the lights uh in this hotel it looks like I'm in a horror movie with the the <laughs> lines there like they're going down the they're going down the screen so I don't want to show people because it, 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 it's gonna be weird but uh no
1: it's it's a I'm, I'm glad to be doing this I'm glad to be here yeah, I'm glad you got to go down there. I mean, that's what a what an experience going to like not only being in Ball Arena for a couple of finals games, but getting to go on the road and cover it out there too. I'm, I I hope you're I hope you're taking it all in because that's I mean, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity, man. Hopefully, more often than that, you know. Hopefully, we'll get to do this three times in the next six, seven years, but you know.
0: yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to be tired of it by the time I, uh, by the time Yeah, I don't want to travel uh, for the at the end of Nikola Jokic's prime. I've just, just been so easily just, just to all these finals and then, yeah, they didn't win all of them, but they won some of them. So, uh, <laughs> so that'll be, that'll be amazing. But no, I mean like this is, this is an amazing experience and I think Nuggets fans like me too, just, just kind of being in person for it. But, guess fans have to enjoy this, and, and if you don't enjoy it, then you're probably going to be missing out because you, you never know. Like things, things may not happen again in this perfect, beautiful way. Uh, like there, there's a lot of teams that I think can get better, so we will see what ultimately happens. But on the point of watching, on the point of enjoying, I, I did want to share uh, television ratings that that came out. Ben Cafardo, who I think does stuff for ESPN if I'm not mistaken, posted some numbers today uh, that basically Denver-Miami Game 2, it came out to be, I think, 11.9 as the average millions uh, of people that watched this Game 2, which was even higher than last year's Golden State-Boston final. So it turns out
1: you don't need two major market teams in the finals. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? knew? Sometimes like the other nba team in the league is not a bad thing for the league. What what a concept that is. Uh
0: it's crazy. Hey, sometimes a fresh face will will really kind of shift everything up and I'm not not really surprised about that, but uh more than anything, like there's there's a large market share that's coming from Denver. Everybody's watching in Denver right now. It's a very very important thing for the city. And I think everybody's behind it. It's it's just very cool to be able to see that happen. Uh, but in general, it just, I just my my biggest actual ratings take here is that it's the perfect thing for people to get mad at all the time, no matter what side you're on. It's just like no matter what it actually says, you can always find a way to spit it to actually make somebody mad, make somebody frustrated. And whether it's Lakers fans, whether it's small market fans, whether it's uh, whoever, like it, it just does not matter. But ratings are. They're, they're a little bit of the devil. I'm not gonna lie. I just I'm just glad that people are enjoying these finals because it,
1: it feels like it's got a pretty universally high approval rating for sure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, who? It, it's just it seems like a no brainer for the NBA. Let's put our best. Play, let's market our best player in the league, huh? What's gonna happen there? Oh, people are actually enjoying watching a dude that's seven feet tall have 11 assists in a game and then go for 40 the next game. And then go against a guy like Jimmy Butler, who is essentially—I mean, the, the Heat have played well as a team, but has kind of put this team on his back and willed him to the finals. Like the, the storyline before it started was when people were saying, "Gosh, it's got to be Boston and L.A. Otherwise, the NBA is going to be screwed and nobody's going to watch." I mean, that couldn't have been further from the truth. And I, yeah, I feel like you—I feel like that was coming either way. Like it's the NBA Finals. People are—if if people. Our basketball fans are even remotely interested in the sport whatsoever. You might not watch the first round. You might, but everyone's going to tune into the finals if you have any interest, any rooting interest at all. So, um, I think having the two different, like, you know, the, the, the smaller markets, sure, but the, the good stories, you know, the, the Nikola Jokic story, the Jimmy Butler story, the Jamal Murray comeback story. Like, I think there's a lot of major headlines that go into this that help drive this narrative that, yeah, you can. The NBA can survive by promoting all of its teams. So I think it's been great. I know Chris Mannix at Sports Illustrated is probably struggling with this right now, but uh, <laughs> the rest of us are enjoying it.
0: It's just seething right now. It's uh, it's just can't can't be good. It's really funny when when he makes that big bold claim like that and that it could not be further from the truth. Nobody in Denver's watching. <laughs> it, it was the most watched
1: Denver Nuggets game of all time. That's that's insane. I mean, I believe it. Yeah. have never been in the finals before, but yeah, no, that's a crazy, that's, that's awesome though. I I love that the city has rallied around the team. Like, I mean, there's people that I've been a Nuggets fan my whole life, but there's people that I've seen come out and support this team that I've never seen show any interest in basketball before. So, um, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of bandwagoning, but we'll take the bandwagon around Denver. You want to support the hometown team. So there's plenty of room to jump on board if you're a, if you're a native, I don't, I don't like all the turning of the, uh, the national media who who talked on them all year and then all of a sudden are trying to jump on it's it's closed for them but uh for Denver and colorado residents it's uh it's it's always open
0: shout out Kendrick perkins man. that's uh right. that's a that's that was quite the take earlier I think it was yesterday come on dude like just have have some some semblance of like self uh awareness like that would be cool but look either way let's get into uh the bulk of this podcast now we're going to do two segments folks we're going to talk about the denver defense versus the miami offense and then we're going to talk about the denver offense versus the miami defense There, are different things that we were hit with in the uh in each of the like when i I asked on twitter like what people wanted to see like what what do you want to see games two, game two to three like What's the biggest change? And there were a lot of takes. I got a lot of responses from that, and they were mostly defensive focus. But there were some things on the offensive end that I definitely want to touch on for sure. But let's focus on the defense right now. I'm curious. Like we we talked a little bit offline um, that night about the game defensively. What, what's your biggest take right now, just in terms of where Denver can improve the most?
1: Well, I know you're going to get to it a little bit later, but I think. Obviously, the number one thing is defending the three-point line. Miami shot nearly 50%. I believe it was 48% from three that night, made 17 threes. A lot of them uncontested and open. um, Guys not communicating switches or um, sometimes going under screens when it didn't make sense. Or, you know, there was a couple of times where it was just a lack of effort, really. Getting up to shooters late, just like a lazy flyby rather than making it a runoff or contesting the shot. And uh, Miami's done that. All playoffs, you know, they, they were a horrible three-point shooting team in the regular season, but they got hot in the playoffs. And, you know, that's kind of been their bread and butter. They really have not atta- Even in Game 2, you know, I thought after they shot two free throws in Game 1, they would attack the bat. And they did more, but they still focused a lot on the perimeter. Um, you know, Bam kind of lived in the mid-range a little bit. Jimmy hit a couple mid-range buckets. Um, but a lot of their shots, a lot of their runs, and a lot of what they did was perimeter-driven. And so I think um, I think the major point of emphasis is to obviously defend the three-point line, but it's, it's on the communication end, um, whether it's talking through switches or um, communicating who's going where. There was, there was one play in the third quarter, and after the bench played so well in the first half, I believe it was Christian Brown and um, Jamal. I think it was the two of them, and they both chased under on the screen and doubled on, uh, on Bam at the elbow and left Gabe Vincent wide open for a three. I mean, there was no one within, I don't know, 10 feet of him. And that, that just can't happen. They're not only good shooting teams, but NBA play, anyone left that with that much space is a concern in the playoffs. And so now you're in the finals and having that kind of letdown. I think it was a fluke, but uh, I, I can't imagine that their number one point of emphasis was anything but that the last couple of days. No, I have no
0: doubt. And And I wasn't here for the media portion, but just reading some of the quotes, that's the gist of what was coming out of there, too. I like to just have to have better communication. And and I think Nuggets fans were on top of that when they responded to me today. Uh, better communication, effort, focus. That was the main message for sure. Uh, just making sure that you are always locked in. to a 48-minute game. That's the one thing that Miami does, that uh, they do better than anybody in the league and have proven that better than anybody in the league. They stay focused. They stay locked in. They never give you an inch of real estate to breathe. You always have to be locked in, and it's why teams like Milwaukee, like Boston, and, and even like Denver in Game 2 gave up leads in in those games like in the fourth quarter because they just weren't as locked in generating great shots and defending those easy shots as Miami was in, in, in making them. So that's a big part of this. They've got to be better from a communication standpoint. The thing that I I think about, I'll talk about this in a little bit schematically, but just like always switch every single time. There are no reasons to not switch when you are guarding a team like Miami because they remind me of Golden State. I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit here, but on, on the schematic side. But that's one thing that I'm really thinking about. It's just don't give them easy looks. Make them work for their shots. And the the easiest way to make them work for it is to switch
1: as often as you can. Well think about it too. A guy like Caleb Martin has shot horribly. Jimmy Butler really hasn't gotten going either. And so that's something that you have to be aware of as well. Is, Jimmy, if he can get hot, can hit shots from outside, but if you let him get going then all of a sudden, then you're in a world of trouble if you defend like you did the other night. So I agree with that. Switching switching just in this situation, like you said, it makes sense. Now they're really not going to get stuck in any bad matchups. They're not going to be at any Height mismatches, for sure, if you get stuck on a switch. Um, right. There's a couple of times where they switched and, and Jokic got stuck guarding Kyle Lowry on the perimeter. But, I mean, that didn't happen all that often. And if that's the worst thing that happens, I mean, no disrespect to Kyle, but he's 37 years old, 36 years old. He's not going to blow by Jokic to the rim all that often anymore. He doesn't have that first. And that's that's the
0: one that you don't have to. Like, you're, you're going to try to avoid switching the fives as often as possible just because you want Jokic guarding Bam. He, he's the best matchup for them guarding Bam outside of A.G., and maybe if there's a Jimmy Bam pick and roll, then maybe you could experiment with switching Jokic onto that and just force Jimmy to
1: make shots.
0: And that's that's one thing that that's, I think that's the, playing I mean, with
1: fire. It is, it Jimmy, is because we saw him go off for fifty six Was it fifty five or fifty six earlier in the playoffs? Fifty six. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he did that mostly against Drew Holiday. I'm being honest, though, <laughs>
0: <laughs> like it does, it don't matter. Like that night, it just didn't matter. Yeah, and, and honestly. Like Jimmy has not been the level of scorer that he he was earlier in the playoffs. Ever since he rolled that ankle, like so, th- there's something there that I think, as long as you're not being burned uh, by the three pointers, there's there's something there's something to be said for just settling for twos. Right. Um, next fan take cut down on the shooting fouls. Pretty straightforward. Like don't foul three point shooters. KCP. Don't foul <laughs> uh, whether it's Jamal or AG. Like. AG had a, that phantom contest on on Jimmy Butler that he got called for an and
1: one. Yeah, that was that was rough.
0: It, it was rough, and and you just like sometimes you're you're not going to be able to deal with that. That's that's going to be a call that they get in this building. By the way, uh, it's right outside my my uh, window. By the way, uh, it's it's going to happen. They, they're going to they're going to get some phantom calls in their own arena. That's just kind of how it works. So Denver's got to fight through it. And they can't give them the easy stuff. Don't foul three point shooters. Should be plain and simple.
1: Yeah, and I was surprised that it happened. The one that I thought was kind of weird, but I think they played into the they knew that they could get that call because of the way the game was officiated it was Vincent again at the top of the key when he kicked his leg out and kicked KCP in the mouth. Ended up being oh, a defensive yeah. foul. I mean, you gotta give these guys space to land. Um the other the other one that they called on was it was it Vincent again? The KCP foul gave Vincent twice the one from the right wing. Uh, at the end of the shot clock. I thought that he was kind of just threw it up in desperation, and they they bailed him out. And that's just mm. it, it was just a yeah. I I thought it was disparity. Duncan Robinson, but I could be wrong. Could be yeah yeah. But I I just I was surprised to see someone with you know like someone who is a good defender and has so much experience like KCP doing that twice. So I don't think I don't know. Call me crazy. I don't I don't see that happening again. Yeah, you got to be more mindful. Sure, but. It was just one of those nights where everything was kind of just off.
0: Yeah, and maybe maybe that's all you can boil it down to. And maybe Denver will be better because it won't be as off this time around. But uh, another thing that I think you can do there is like I, I listed this as a schematic change. This didn't really come from uh, the fan side of things. But when you're talking about staying home on shooters, there's a balance there. And if you're running pick and roll with a guy like Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo in the middle of the floor, Denver's got to be better defending those guys two-on-two rather than sending a whole bunch of extra help. They've been treating Jimmy like LeBron, and
1: I just don't think they have to do that. No, they don't. Um, I mean, LeBron demands so much attention going to the rim because he's so big and physical and wants to get downhill. Jimmy's a great player, but it's like you said, it's just a completely different skill set. He's a lot smaller. If you can force him, again, not trying to play with fire, but if you can force him into being a jump shooter, I think that's a much better opportunity than sending so many bodies and so much attention and, and focusing so much on his drive. Like, he's going to get his – I mean, maybe he gets 20 to 25 and you live with that rather than, you know, letting him sit at Where was he at for most? He finished with 21, but he sat in the mid-teens for the rest of the game – or for most of the game. But early in that fourth quarter, it was, I mean, Duncan Robinson and then Gabe Vincent hitting shots and then Kevin Love hitting shots. Like, it was kind of a – I think you put it best. It was kind of the way that the Warriors used to play. I mean, they were five out and you had to, you had to go, you had to be on everybody because there wasn't a big threat to continuously get to the rim. And I right. think it just took the, I think I think the game plan was where Michael Malone and staff did good enough job of um, preparing for that, but I think the players were just so hyper focused on Jimmy if that makes sense.
0: Now of course like I mean you think about the identity of their team and you think okay Jimmy's their best player, pretty clearly their best guy. Him and Bam are going to be running most of the pick and rolls. You're going to want to send help uh, in order to to assist your team and, and make sure that those guys aren't going off. But the real value of their team is is the shots that Jimmy creates for the three-point shooting. And, and they have plenty of those opportunities. So uh, there's, there's stuff there for sure. But to your point on on Golden State and, and this, this entire point on Golden State, I think that the cleaner exchanges are going to be a big deal. I think that Denver... For whatever reason, they were not ready for guard to guard screens. They were not ready for uh, the delay action that, that JJ Reddick was talking about on his podcast. They were, they were planning, like, Denver had a lot of missed opportunities here to just force Miami to ISO. And they never really ended up doing it because they always found ways to generate cuts and open threes and off screens and DHOs and whatever. Uh, they, they had plenty of time to get into a rhythm because Denver gave them that time. Sorry, there's
1: a massive mosquito flying around me. I keep telling <laughs> me that. Uh, but no, you're right. It's I, I just don't I don't know how else you guard a team like that. You can't you can't really try to fight through screens against shooters, especially you see one or two go in. If you're chasing it's too late. So someone's gotta be there, especially on the other side, or communicate it. Like the second that screen's there, whoever's up if it's you know if it's guard to guard like you said, it's an easier switch. Um, and I just thought that was something that especially it was disappointing to see because we've talked about how good Michael Porter Jr.'s defense has been. He has the length and he's got the wingspan to, to bother people on the perimeter. Um, that, that's actually a great point um, over helping in, in game one and game two. Um, but I, I think being able to stay steady and solid and, and not overcommit on the perimeter and just put put a hand up, being 6'10 with a massive wingspan is is a great thing. It's a great tool to have, um, but when you're unavailable, not on the floor because you're not playing defense, that hurts you. So I'm not going to go to. I know a lot of people were upset with Mike, and he did not play a good game. I mean, there's no hiding that. But he's been good defensively in the playoffs. So I think you can kind of give him a pass and think that he's going to get get right for Game Three. You know, Michael Malone will will talk to him, and he's he's a defensive minded coach. I I, I just don't see it being an issue that. Persist for two straight games now could it yeah because Spolster's a genius and he could continue to get guys open um and Miami's perimeter oriented but I, I think that the communication I think the switching I think the overall intensity on that end of the floor is going to be a lot different in game three.
0: Oh, and it certainly might be and and if that's the case then then maybe Mike is perfectly fine maybe he had some shots on the other end and it doesn't even feel like he's that much of a liability out there like he was in game two uh but I do think that it's at least a a consideration that Bruce Brown for Michael Porter Jr. is kind of why they got him, right? Like against a team like this where you have to exchange, you have to be able to guard different guards on the opposing team, you have to make sure that your defensive communication is perfect, making plays on that end of the floor. Bruce is probably better suited to do that than Mike is, Uh, but I think that Denver is going to have to figure it out with Mike as well just because – like he's so important to their offense, he's so important to spacing the floor. If Miami is able to play Michael Porter Jr. off the floor, then there there are other ramifications that come into it. So I saw this take going around, wanted to mention it here, but I don't think that Bruce Brown for Michael
1: Porter Jr. is the solve that people think it is. But uh, hey, you never know. Maybe Bruce continues to surprise. I, I just can't imagine them making that switch this deep into the playoffs, can you? Like they've got to they would just have to take, change too much with with minutes and rotations and. Um, I mean, Michael Malone's proven that he will stick with Bruce down the stretch if he has to in the second half. But I think, as far as how they how they start, I don't think that'll happen. Um,
0: Christian has a good question in the comments that uh, remind me to get back to their zone, their zone defense, Miami's zone defense. That I may, I need to uh, explain some of that for sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, Denver's defense is gonna be uh, it's gonna be tested for sure in Miami. There's no doubt in my mind that they're going to be tested and, and there's going to be a lot of stuff that they've got to figure out. But I do think that they can figure it out for sure. And, and it's it's going to come down to better execution, better communication and all of the detail work that you possibly can. Because here's the thing, Eric Spolstra and, and Miami have already moved on to game three. If the Nuggets are still trying to solve game two, then that could even get them behind the eight ball for game three, so that's how fast a series can move like you're you're making moves and counter moves, but the other team is already advancing so going to be interesting to see what Miami has in store uh, but I do think that denver they they've got to be able to uh, get those adjustments down and then predict what other adjustments Miami will make as well.
1: yeah, I was gonna I actually wanted to ask you I didn't get to talk to you much about it, and maybe you're gonna hit this on the other side but um what you think the biggest ramification for Denver with Kevin Love in the starting lineup as opposed to um Caleb Martin?
0: Well, I do think that Kevin Love is a like offensively he is a more potent shooter, somebody who's a threat on that end. And even which though is, he Which he is crazy
1: to say after the, the Eastern Conference finals that, that Caleb had.
0: Right. Uh but you just have to guard, and, and Denver specifically has to guard a guy like Kevin Love a little bit closer just because he's six foot ten ish, and, and can get his shot up very quickly and, and is very professional at that end. Caleb Barton is somebody that they're going to continue to dare, and I thought that that was the right call to continue to dare him. But um uh, going to be interesting to see because like, Kevin Love only played 22 minutes. It's not like he played 30 or 35 or anything like that. Uh, they they didn't go fully to Kevin Love, and and I don't think that they have to. They just have to get off to good starts. I do think that that was more of a Denver offense question versus a Denver defense question in that starting group. Uh, the defense just has to get their head out of their ass. Like yeah. that's that's
1: the only major thing there. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's it was it was kind of nice to hear that you know Jamal never buys into the the effort criticism I mean that's just who he is because he knows he plays hard all the time but it was nice to hear that everyone was kind of in sync you know Jeff Green kind of echoed what Michael Malone said and so I think that's going to be huge on the defensive end like they're all saying yeah we need our effort needs to be better our communication needs to be better all the things that I think that were talked about by the coaching staff after the game and then the adjustments that were made in practice and whatever they've done the last couple days obviously we don't know we haven't been there but the fact that the players and the guys and the vets have seen it as well I think that makes it much easier to fix and correct because when you're on the floor and you notice the same things, I mean, Jeff Green's been in this league for forever. Now he's able to communicate and he's able to see things that, you know, hearing it from a coach is one thing, hearing it from a guy that you're out there playing with is another. So I think that's going to be a huge key as well.
0: We will see what ultimately happens on that front, but tell you what, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into the Denver offense versus Miami defense. Another very interesting conversation heading into game three, but first, Everybody, this podcast, as you know, is brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook. Make sure to bring that big bet energy this summer with Superbook Sports. They're the most trusted name in sports betting right now, and you can use their promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Simply visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions or download the Superbook Colorado app in app stores. Enter the promo code MILEHIGH and you'll get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook. Gambling problem, call 1 800 4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. We're back pickaxe and roll ryan blackburn here thank you so much everybody for tuning in appreciate all the love on the podcast make sure to drop a like if you are watching on youtube make sure to sub to the youtube as well we are creeping ever closer to that 2000 subscriber mark would love to see us hit that before the end of the finals would be very cool uh we're within 30 we're within 30 subscribers so just tell your friend tell your friend to subscribe to the to the mhs youtube channel no not a big deal just uh just push that little button, and that and that would really help. We've got great content on the NBA side, but also like NFL is about to come out. OTA is about to start with uh, with the NFL side of things. I'm pretty sure. So there, there's a lot of uh, nugget stuff that I think we can we can really get into. But our Bronco stuff—that's what I mean. Cody work will have you covered on on that front for sure. But either way, hit that like button and that subscribe button if you can. All right. The Denver offense versus Miami defense, Michael, uh, this was one that was definitely less discussed in general than what the other side was, where Denver's giving up wide-open shots, hard to not look at the defense and be like, what the hell? Uh, but there were things that Miami did on the defense event that forced Denver's offense to do some difficult things. A uh, couple of those being trying to turn Nicole Jokic into a scorer I know that that was a big talking point, and I know that everybody was like, ah, no, that, let's, let's not simplify it down to that. Uh, it was part of what they were trying to do, though. Like, it's it, I think it was clearly part of what they were trying to do, not necessarily that they were successful because of what they did. I think that some of the stuff that the Nuggets did lended Jokic to being more of a score. Uh, and also, I think some of the struggles, not necessarily with Murray, but like, Murray was setting the table really well. He wasn't really getting separation well uh, as a scorer. And so he was passing, and Jokic was scoring. And that's just kind of how the offense looked for a lot of the time. Uh, But I do think that Denver's offense can be a lot better going forward. Asked Nuggets fans about it on Twitter, and they said focus and persistence, particularly with the zone defense that Miami is playing right now. Miami's playing a crazy zone. I mean, you you've seen what they're doing on that front. You've seen how aggressive it is and what they do. What do you like about like I'm not like, but what what is giving Denver
1: problems in that zone like that, that you're seeing right now? It seems like, you know, when teams that bust zones really well, what do they do? What's the number one thing to bust the zone? Hit a bunch of outside shots. Yeah. Michael Porter shooting three for 17 from the perimeter of the first two games is a big problem because he's a major spacer. I actually, I did like early, early on when he was getting himself to the rim because that's something that he does well because you also have to attack gaps and zones. That's, that's another big part of it. But, um, the other thing I thought was giving him a lot of fits is when they did center the ball, you know, if, if they dropped, I mean, there was a couple of times where they were in that two, three, a couple of times they went to like a one, two, two. It almost seemed like. Yeah. Um, um. But when the ball is centered, you know that's kind of when you have the best player in the world to defeat a zone. I mean it, it, and I think that was also part of why Jokic went for 41 because he recognized he had the opportunity to score. Um, but it seemed like there were possessions where it, it almost looked like the guys in the perimeter knew what they were going to, what they were supposed to do. Like I think the game plan was in right, and I think they knew it was just like a little hesitant or a little unsure because of. Miami's ability to kind of mix in defenses like they would go 2-2 two, two, or 2-3 two, or one-two-two, two, almost like a 221 ish kind of it, there was like three two or three different looks um from kind of what it looked like and I think that's kind of what got them out of rhythm and and that's what it showed up in in the box where the most is that Denver plays very free-flowing they get a lot of shots up they'd like to get out in transition uh the Nuggets only took like 80 was it 85 shots or had 85 possessions the other night or something like that yeah about 80 more than normal I think that was the biggest thing is they got into they let Miami dictate the pace of the game. And so for as poorly as they shot from outside, I mean, 11 for 28 is not horrible, horrible, but it's not good. Um, you hit a couple more of those, you win the game. Um, so I don't think that the game plan was horrible. I just think that the fact that they looked a little I don't even know what the word for it is a little rattled. I mean, a little just discombobulated, I guess, just letting letting everything get very deep into the shot clock. A um, couple good looks they could have had, you know, a couple of shots they could have taken early in a couple possessions and almost too much extra ball movement or, you know, not necessarily right. getting it to Jokic early enough in the middle of the floor when it could have broken things down. But right. um, I think that was a major thing is just that they didn't play at their pace.
0: Yeah, I was I was just going to say they they let Miami dictate the pace uh, the way that they wanted to play. Miami was very comfortable running down the shot clock. They'd either get a good shot early in the clock or they'd work for their third, fourth, fifth, sixth opportunity later in the shot clock and then ultimately still get a good shot that they hit at a pretty good clip. Um, what Denver did, and, and I think what, what we're really talking about here, they didn't play fast enough uh, when when facing that zone. They did not do a good enough job of getting into their offense. And I put some of this on Jamal. I also just put some of this on the game planning you got to make sure to get the ball across half court earlier than 16 seconds. Like That's just, it's just got to happen because if you're always starting the possession in the 12 to 15 second mark, it gives the opposing defense at least time to not even rest, but just like see the floor. And when you're always seeing the floor and you're always knowing where everybody is all at once, uh, it's going to be a lot more difficult to generate separation and to generate uh, the right kinds of shots and the right kinds of movements and looks that the nuggets are looking for. Uh can you go back to that starred comment uh for me real quick? I I wanted to make sure to cover that. Uh Christian asks, Ryan, can you guys explain the on-the-fly zone defense from 2-2-1 to 1-3-1 zone, the Miami changes on the fly. Uh that Miami changes on the fly. Yeah, so this is one where they like to 221 press and all they're trying to do is when the Nuggets are pushing the when they're trying to get the ball up the court, they're going to pick up Denver full court or at least like three quarter court and say, we're not going to let you advance this ball like faster than 17 seconds on the shot clock. That's really the only goal. And Denver has not developed a counter to that where they push it past that zone. They break that zone or they break that press a little bit quicker. They also don't have great personnel to break press in my opinion. Like, Jokic isn't going to be a, a floor runner in my mind. Like, as as great as he has been going up against DeAndre Ayton and Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Towns or Rudy Gobert, Bam Adebayo is a different level of athlete. And, like, he's just – he's always back. He has done such a great job of getting back in those situations, especially when they have to get their, their actual zone defense set. Uh, but the other thing is that I liked what they did – or I, I hated what they did with the 1-3-1. Uh, because what the guy who was in the middle of the floor a lot of the time was Gabe Vincent or Kyle Lowry. And it wasn't about getting the ball to Jokic. Like, D- Denver can probably do that a little bit better, and there are some things that they can improve upon. But the way that he was always kind of nipping at Jokic's heels or rotating around and making sure that they never got great opportunities, uh, Denver never found good chances to generate shots outside of getting the ball to Jokic against Gabe Vincent or Kyle Lowry. Like there were never any good creative shots taken. And I liked what they did with that zone. And I think them being able to do both of those things, it's two different kinds of zone. They have another uh, that they like to go to as well, which is more of a kind of three, two, I guess. Uh, But they do a lot of different coverages, and it's hard because they know it inside and out. They've done it so much during the regular season and the playoffs uh, that that is like it's not easy. And like we've had, like Richard says in the comments, to just face up and shoot that. It's easier said than done because you're taking a fifteen footer with a a six foot guy right under you, and what is that like? It's it's that's not an efficient shot even for Nikola Jokic. Like he's going to make it. Fifty percent of the time, but like I don't even know if that's good enough. Like I think Miami was was outpacing that, that for sure. So Denver's got to watch out for that, and they've got to. I think that when you go to a two-two-one or a one-three-one, the corners are open. That's yeah. where that's where you're trying to get the ball. I think,
1: right. and that's that's a good point. Corner, short corner, elbow, wing. Um, that's kind of just with the way that's set up. But the ball movement's got to be quicker. Sure if you're playing against a zone and you're dribbling the air out of the ball and not moving it, that's exactly it plays exactly into what Miami is going to do because they're going to be overly aggressive they're going to have opportunities to i don't want to say trap as much but they've got like when the ball goes to the wing in that 131 one, that top guys coming over you got two guys there if you hold and don't move the ball quickly or make a decisive like quick power dribble and, and, and dish then all of a sudden it it gives the rest of the guys on their defense in the zone a chance to move and cover different areas that have been exposed by moving the ball in the first place. So no ball movement is perfect for what Miami wants to do. So moving it quickly, hitting open corner shots. um, But it's kind of like what we talked about at the beginning. You got an open shot, you got to take it. You got to shoot it confidently. And it seemed like that those couple seconds of hesitation, A, slowed the ball movement down, um, got rid of the opportunity for a bunch of open shots, and really – like you said, if, if you get the ball back in the middle of the floor with like four or three seconds left on the shot clock and you got sh- to shoot over a guy, even with the height advantage, it's not exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, so it, the, I think the one thing, and I don't know what you think about this, but the, when they went on that 40 to 14 or 40 to 16 run, um, late first quarter, mid second quarter, they got, out and run, they got out and ran. Yeah. Christian Brown was deflecting passes and making steals. Jamal Murray got to the rim on a fast break dunk. Um, it doesn't allow it. you, it doesn't allow you to get into right. the zone. Right. So it, that's why it's so important. That's why they tie together so well is playing anything. If you're taking the ball out underneath your own basket after a made shot. You're really not going to be able to beat the zone as far as transition goes.
0: Yeah. Transition like, transitions cool. the easiest way to do it. It's right. like you don't, you don't let guys get into the gaps that they're trying to fill in order to, to just, just try to break the zone as, as quickly as possible. But that's that's the that's the balance here. And, and Miami's done such a great job in transition defense overall in this series so far that it's limited the amount of times that Denver's been able to get out there.
1: Yeah. Uh the other what was I, I had a question I was gonna ask you about that too. Sorry, I interrupted, you Oh now I forgot where I was going with that. No, but I I think I don't know, I think I think you're right. I think having the ability to get Jokic freed up or to move the ball quickly, find corner shots. That should be realistic. Theoretically, the easiest three to make in basketball, right? Like KCP and and Mike going from the corner game could be a lot different. Maybe they get out of the zone.
0: Yeah, I would need to. I would need to check Denver's corner three-point shooting numbers so far in these two games. But it it doesn't feel like they've made a lot from there. Like uh, the only the only couple times I can think about are in transition. So I have to go back and look, but uh either way some some good thoughts on attacking the zone another thing that we probably should touch on fans were very vociferous in wanting to attack Kevin Love wanting to put him in space put him in pick and roll get him isolated onto Murray or even like like the 5 4 Jokic Gordon pick and roll like where you've got Bam defending on ball and Kevin Love defending uh the roll man like there's a lot that Denver can do to create space for those guys. And even if it's not those guys, it's kickouts for weak side corner threes and things like that that Denver can do. But either way, it it definitely didn't feel like Kevin Love was attacked enough. He was plus 18 in 22 minutes.
1: Yeah, I mean, stop me if you've said this at any point in the last three or four years. Kevin Love is on an NBA roster to to be a defender. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's not what he's... This I mean, he was an okay defender early on in Minnesota. Um, Well... Well, I I wouldn't even go that far. Like he was pretty
0: bad there, and he found ways to improve right. in Cleveland. Yeah, like and just just help them win a title that way, and defended Steph Curry and all the way, all the way to a title in, in Game Seven. It was great.
1: Right, <laughs> um, but no, I mean I think that's a fair point. Go at him. I mean I know what the it was a good move by by Eric Spoelstra to to get more size in there because in the first quarter of Game One, I mean. No, there was no answer for Aaron Gordon. He was just too big for everybody else. So, adding some more size in the front court helps. But he's, in, at this stage in his career, he doesn't move his feet well. You can attack him pretty easily. He's even even when he's in position, he's not a great defender. Um, if you can get switches onto a guard, I mean, that's a great matchup to exploit too. Um, but the other thing with that is, if you can get some some good ball screens for, you know, say, he's, did he start on Aaron Gordon? Four uh, yes, yes. They put Bam on Jokic, and they put K-Love on Aaron Gordon. Well, then you've got to switch to Jimmy back on – because if Jimmy's going to guard Jamal, that's gonna, that's a whole other issue. I mean, you want to get Jimmy off of Jamal as much as possible, so that way he can operate. Right. And so I think going at him that way with whoever he's guarding, say he goes back to Aaron Gordon, you've got to run a lot of screen and roll there as well. Yeah. I mean, put, Aaron in, put Aaron in that position.
0: There's plenty of opportunity there. One of the issues that you're going to end up having is that – If Jamal and Aaron Gordon are continuously running pick and rolls, that means that Jokic is not involved in the play. And that's usually a bad thing for Denver, though. I mean, Jokic is shooting 47% or however much from three in the playoffs. So there's an opportunity for him if he's willing to just space the floor as like a a wing shooter or something while
1: Murray and... and There's never going to be a world where Nikola Jokic doesn't... The the offense doesn't run through him. I mean, these are just for you know, a, a couple of possessions here and there. I mean, yeah, nobody, it doesn't matter who's guarding Jokic. He's going to score. He's going to get, he's going to do what he does. So, yeah. But I think helping free up Jamal just for a little bit, because all he needs is a couple sh- He just needs to see a couple go in. And even if Jimmy's guarding him, I mean, Jamal's the kind of guy that gets hot. And when he gets hot, he stays hot and doesn't really matter who's guarding him.
0: No, I'm with you there. I'm, I'm with you there for sure. Uh, a few more here. Schematic change. Uh, just got to get Michael Porter and KCP going. Like that's probably the most important thing in this series outside of uh, the defensive side of things. Like, because I think that Jokic is going to be like he's going to put up his. I think that Murray's going to put up his too. People were talking like there there was questions about Murray not being able to handle shit. He had 18 points, 10 assists, and one turnover, and like he was seven of 15. It wasn't like he was that bad <laughs> or or anything like that. Like he he'll be okay and I think he'll be better going forward even. Uh, but Murray is going to be fine. Jokic is going to be fine. Aaron Gordon, I think, has been fine too. It's really just KCP and MPJ, your, your zone busters and, and your outside floor spacers who are – you have to be able to get those guys hot at various points because it, it just makes everything easier as we've seen with Miami.
1: Yeah, I'm looking for if if Michael Porter can have a was it, I believe it was game – was it game three – against Phoenix where he went just he went off in the first quarter like four or five threes it was game 5 it was game, game 5 against Phoenix i'm pretty sure if he can do well he did it on the road once too mm. he got a lot early in the first quarter and it kind of it changed everything Phoenix was going to do money williams had to scramble and um but if if i i would have to think that if if michael can get going in the first quarter if kcp can if one of the two of them can hit two or three early threes it's going to change everything that miami wants to do Oh, no, for sure because right now right now and i know it's playing with fire but if you're if you're Eric bull i'm just going to put all my attention on nicole Jokic, jamal murray michael porter shooting three for 17 right now if that's the guy that's going to beat me this guy that's going to beat me if, if if i'm on the other side of that i'm thinking as and obviously they respect porter enough to say that's you know it's not like he can't shoot it but man that's what an opportunity for for michael to come out and just bury a couple of threes early and just completely dismantle Miami's game plan. Oh, yeah. He's the dare guy. He's the
0: dare shooter. Like, you're you're going to dare him if you're Miami to beat you on the road. And he's capable of doing it, of course. Yeah. Like, he, he's a guy that we've compared to, not Steph Curry, but like Klay Thompson, Buddy Heald, like some of these other elite shooters in the NBA. Like, he he is rightfully compared to those guys in my mind. But this is where you show up. This is where you prove that. And if you get open opportunities, then you've just got to knock them down
1: if you're going to be a historic guy. How many teams have an elite shooting option as their third primary scorer? Like the, I mean, it just doesn't happen very often. They're I know rare. I mean, I. But the, I mean, there's too much potential there. Like, I think that's got to factor into the game plan, don't you?
0: Of course, of course. And if it doesn't, then they're probably going to lose or they've lost faith already. And in, in which case, maybe the the personnel change of going to Bruce Brown isn't the worst thing in the world, but I do think that you've got to do right by Mike. You have to try to get him going and you, it probably is going to take even multiple games beyond this before you actually make a rash decision, but we're going to see what happens. Like I I think he's going to get opportunities in game three. We'll see what that means for game four, but I do think that game
1: three, Mike's got to bounce back. He's got an opportunity. Yeah, I think he will. I don't, I maybe I'm just being overly optimistic, but I think he's going to have a game where he could go for, 22-8 Twenty-two and eight in game three. It just seems like that's the, the kind of opportunity he's going to get. Yeah,
0: we will see. We will see. Um, another thing you mentioned earlier: working to get Jimmy Butler off of Jamal Murray. Like there, there's a precedent for that. He's a great defender. They have a lot of good defenders, but Butler, when he's locked in, is a great defender, especially against Jamal because of the length and athleticism and the physicality that he plays with. Uh, Very similar to Nikhil Alexander-Walker, just a little bit more stocky as opposed to long, uh, but very similar in terms of disruptive defenders. How do you get him off of Jamal Murray?
1: I think you have to just put Jamal through. I mean, whether it's through, like we talked about earlier, with with Aaron Gordon and getting Kevin Love switched onto him. Does does that mean more pick and roll with Jokic? More pick and pop even? Because if you do that, then you switch. I, I don't know if that's... You have to you have to just have Jamal come off. Maybe maybe you do what what Golden State does with Steph and just run him off ball off of a bunch of off ball screens. Um, the Nuggets run. I mean, we've we've seen it. They've run backwards five one pick and rolls a bunch of times where Jamal's a screener. So we know that it's in their arsenal to have Jamal come off of screens or set screens or like they the Nuggets might be the best team in the NBA as far as how they get their players involved in getting people open, getting shooters open, getting. Um, ball handlers, like they run screens very well. And so I think, right. I think there's an opportunity where you can get Jamal off the ball. Maybe if you springs the ball up the floor and have him come off of screens off the ball, and then maybe it loosens things up and you get Jimmy switched on somewhere else. The other thing I think about
0: is getting out and running and, and trying to get cross match that way. Uh, because if you are, if you are running in transition, you just have to pick up whoever you pick up. If you're the opposing team. And if that's uh Forcing cross matches and switches, and that's already doing half of your job early on in the possession. It gives you more flexibility to be able to hunt a guy like Max Strus or Kevin Love or Gabe Vincent for his size reasons, and you're you're gonna want to try to get Jimmy off of Jamal because if if you can, you've got a lesser defender, and you also feel like if if you are Miami that you've got to overhelp a little bit, kind of like the way that Denver's been overhelping on Jimmy. Like, if they send three guys to defend Denver's two, then there's always going to be somebody else open. So we're going to see what they ultimately do there. But uh last thing offensively, I, I think that the personal ch- personnel change is none in my mind. Like, I, I don't think that there's a guy that you go to off the bench that really is for the offense. Like, Denver's got their guys. I think they're going to continue with the same rotation. I don't expect any changes. Do
1: you think that the... um The minute breakdown from the other night is what we're going to see. I think think the bench, probably because they were playing so well earlier in the first half, got a little bit more run than they did in Game 1. Do you think they're going to stick with that rather than having all the starters go 44-plus? Or is that something they have to go back to saying, we have to get Game 3? I mean, maybe, you know, what what was Christian Brown's final minute count in Game 1?
0: Well, I'm looking at it now, he was at 15 and Jeff Green was at 16. Um part of the reason for that though was because of the extended second quarter where they just had amazing success. Right, and you
1: couldn't pull them out then, yeah.
0: Yeah, and like they, they were just letting that ride like like Michael Porter basically played the final four minutes and twenty seconds or so of the second quarter. Like he, he missed seven minutes and forty seconds. So there's a lot there to have to figure out that you're probably not gonna get again. Uh but I do think that like here here's the actual totals for everybody. Murray was at 39 kcp 36 mpj 28 aaron gordon 38 Jokic 42 bruce brown 26 christian brown 15 jeff green 16 so not anything crazy i think you you might see a couple bit of reduced minute totals for each of those bench guys and then add some of that back to mpj or jamal uh but in general or or even kcp uh Denver's got to find their guys though like those are those are the players that like especially in the starting lineup and, and with Bruce Brown those are your guys you're gonna play them a lot like you just have to figure it out with them because I don't think Denver has other answers outside of that
1: no and, and just from a hypothetical standpoint you've let those guys play close to that many minutes again because Christian is a good wing defender came up with steals and deflection helped him get out in transition Uh prevented Miami from getting set on defense. Is that something that they explore? Or is that just something that you think was a, this was a great defensive game for Christian and for Bruce in the first half. um, And it just led to a run that they couldn't make a move. Like, is that something that they, they try to game plan with, or is that just something that was, Hey, we're going to ride the hot hand right now.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I I think if I'm Denver, I'm probably trying to get back to Michael Porter, just, just in terms of let's see what he can give again. Let's see what he can do on, the offensive side and, and if he's going to continue to be a liability on the defensive side, then that's going to be an issue, of course, but uh, more than anything, Denver, they, they have an opportunity to outscore Miami and and as as great as Miami's offense has been, it doesn't feel like they can do that, but they can, they can, they just have to tighten up various things. And even if they're still scoring, like Denver's offense was top in the league. For a reason. And I just, I don't think that they're going to be continuously held down. Part of that ethos is with Michael Porter. It's harder
1: to do that with Christian Brown and Bruce Brown out there. Yeah. And I would have to think that the guys in the locker room are looking at it from the perspective of we played pretty poorly offensively and we lost. We had a shot at the end of the game to send it to overtime. We lost by one possession. Right. That's got to be somewhat encouraging going forward.
0: Yeah. I mean, here's the thing Denver should have won that game. If, if they did not screw around uh, from an effort standpoint, if they did not screw around from an execution standpoint in the fourth quarter, then uh, they would have won game Two. I feel pretty strongly about that. However, like you, you can only play what's on the, what's on the floor and Denver got, got, and now they have to respond in kind. Like there's, there's no other way. There's no other way to do it. And I think that it starts with Jokic and Murray. And if, those guys continue to be great, then it's, it'll, be, it'll be much easier for everybody else to kind of fit in around that. Uh, but if Murray's a little bit slowed down by Jimmy Butler, then that will be uh, at least at least an issue, if not a full-blown blown problem. No, I agree.
1: So we shall see what happens.
0: We shall see, my friend. Um, folks, I think that's going to do it for this episode of pickaxe and roll Uh, michael can't that outro music for us that is gonna do it for this episode i I really appreciate everybody for hanging out on this uh tuesday evening it is now midnight here in miami but i still really appreciate everybody for hopping in i know it's it's a lot earlier on the mountain time zone but uh, michael any final thoughts before we get out of here
1: no, I'm excited for game three. I know there's a lot of nervous energy around here, but I'm I'm excited. I think as long as they get one, I mean, it might not be ambitious for you to go for both, but I think as long as they get one and bring home court advantage back to Denver, I think
0: it's going to be we will see. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, really appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, we'll be back. I'll probably be back Thursday morning. That's my guess, just with how late it is going to be here after that game. We'll probably talk again Thursday morning. Uh, But for everybody, thank you so much. Hit that like button on the way out. We'll talk to you guys very soon. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you.